Welcome back to the Southam Podcast. Today's segment features Tina Perry, who teaches music at Oakwood Christian School in Anderson, South Carolina. Join us today as we listen to her speak at the Ladies Retreat on Embracing Your Design. Okay, so um, the lesson tonight, I want to give a little bit of disclaimers. It's on biblical womanhood. And um, I, I, my disclaimer is that even my own mother, when I told her that I taught, I taught this lesson at my church a couple years ago, and she was like, what do you know about that? So even my own mother um, is a little skeptical of my, my um, knowledge on this subject. But I will say, if there's one thing that's under attack right now in America, it is womanhood. Even, even more than manhood, because we've got this feminine thing, feminist thing going on. Um, and so I just feel like for such a time as this, I feel like this is a lesson that I will teach to anybody that will listen and that our culture has warped our minds, wants to warp our minds so much that even though most of you in this room are probably, you know, you know what you believe about it, um, I just don't think we can remind ourselves enough of what the Bible says and just to be excited about living out womanhood um, in our culture and influencing. My big thing is this next generation needs us. Like we were all raised in a normal America. They are not. I mean, even in my Christian school, it's it's a saying like they 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 laugh at things and i'm like no that's not funny like they they watch things i'm like no that's not okay like it's it's permeating our youth and so i feel like if i if i whoever i can teach this to i am and i'm kind of wanting to teach you to teach it um so i i feel like this lesson is kind of twofold it's yes to help us but it's also for you to be able to articulate it to your daughters, to your youth group, to your ladies in your church, um, to just be able to um, just pass the baton of faith to the next generation, or we're going to lose them because our culture, they're articulating their philosophy very clearly in any way they want. I mean, even cartoons now are starting to, in, to infiltrate this. Sometimes I feel like we're going insane. And, and the thing is, we all see it, I, I would say most of us in here see it very clearly, but it's getting fuzzier as you go down each decade. And so um, anyway, this is a, this is a, um, it's, it's becoming a subject I'm more and more passionate about as I see how destructive the alternative is um, in society. And it's, it's bad. So let's turn, this is a verse you've got, you've got to memorize, circle in your Bible, have ready um at your fingertips in life because this is where it all begins genesis 1 26 and 27 i referred to this verse um earlier um but we're going to kind of um use this as our launching pad here um today here genesis 1 26 and 27 and god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon earth. That's the good hunter verse for anybody that likes to do all the hunting life. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. That, that, that's where it all begins. So if you miss that starting point, then everything else goes crazy. And so this, this has got to be where we, where we start. There's, there's no debate here. So I, I, before there, your notes um, kind of start a little bit later on. So this is just some foundational truths. First thing we've got to know for sure is where did I come from? Okay. That's been up to our debate for years. The evolution thing has been around forever. Um, but it's becoming more of a thing. Where did I come from? I'm a human created by God. If you're talking to an unbeliever who's just like, wacko um about like philosophy and you're just like i don't even know where to start like start with where do you think you came from like where where do you come from and they might talk about the evolution thing talk about the design in the, in in the world like where do you think that came from like don't don't feel like we're on the defensive we're the ones that know the truth so when people are like wacko about stuff don't be nervous about this you know the truth 
So I, I've had campers that say they're agnostic or say they, you know, whatever. And sometimes it's just because they want to be cool and they want to be different, whatever. Um, but sometimes it's just they've grown up in a very agnostic world. And um, so think about the design. Ask them, how how do you know where you come from? How do you know um, whatever? And if they keep talking, they'll start realizing they don't really know. And it sounds more and more bogus the longer they talk. And they were like, well, let me tell you what the Bible says we came from. And and just having a foundation of truth, like there's a lot of security in that. And they start realizing, you know what? I'm basing my whole life on these random ideas that I've thrown together myself. And this is a very scary, scary way to live just based on what I feel and what I've heard and piecing it together and making my own little philosophy. Um, so first of all, we came, we came from God. We're creating God's image. Secondly, who am I? I am a female. Don't be ashamed. Like, you are a female. It's an awesome thing. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, it's, it's in our DNA. We are born male or female. I um, recently, um, if, you're, if you're really interested in um, just learning more about this transgender thing, I encourage you to look up um, a, a Revive Our Hearts, the Nancy Lee DeMoss um, thing website. She has a video by a lady named Laura Perry, P-E-R-R-Y, not like my P-A, P-E-R-R-Y, Laura Perry, and she gives a testimony. She was a, a grew up in a Christian home, and she went into the transgender lifestyle and then got saved. And I mean, she was like the type that had the surgeries at her work. They knew her as a different name. They thought she was a boy. I mean, she was as far into it as you can get. She had the surgery. Yeah, she had the surgery. She had the whole shebang. And she said, she said the whole time, people, people didn't even know I was female. She's like, but I knew I was. She's like, I could do anything I wanted to, to try to make it look like, make it feel like, do things men do. She's like, but at my core, I was a female and I couldn't outrun it. She's like, I knew I was. And it, it just was so affirming that like, you can't mess with God's design. Man can do whatever they want to try to twist like to be what they wanted. But at the end of the day, God designed us. We only function well when we do life as God designed. And if you can just like get that in your head that, um, and I'm trying to teach myself this, Tina, nothing good happens when you go outside God's design. Like, so even if his design seems a little bit, you know, uh, counterculture or whatever, just follow it because at the end, there's, there's something good. At the end of my own, it's, it's a little sketchy. Um, so Laura Perry, look, at it's like a 40-minute deal, but it is, it's both heart-wrenching. It really gives you a heart for the transgender person. I think that's what we're lacking. We, I feel like we know the truth in our circles especially. Um, but we can be like really mocking of them. We can be very judgmental. We can be like, you know, like, holy cow, how do you not know? And we have campers that come in. You can just tell me and they walk in, you know, which ones are struggling with it. And um, more and more, it used to be like once or twice a summer we'd have it. It's definitely several a week now that um, talk about it and whatnot. And so if it, it gives you a heart for the hopelessness that they feel. And it's just, it's just one way of them searching for meaning. Some people do it in alcohol. Some people do it in drugs. Some people do it with um, sexual um, pr promiscuity, whatever that word is. Um, and they do it with this transgender thingy. And they're just trying out different things to fulfill them. Um, but it's so, I think what the thing is, it's so like not in our, um, our temptation list that we just like, it's such an abomination to us. And which is good. Sin is an abomination. But we can't let that um, hurt our influence on them because we know the truth and that's what they need. Um, so anyway, look at that if you want. But it's in our DNA. We're female. You can't change it. It, it is what it is. Appreciate it. Um, number three, what is my purpose? We kind of talked about this um, with fulfilling my, my calling. This is the purpose for all of us. I'm created to make much of God. So if you try to live your life for any other purpose, you're going to come up short. So um, Isaiah um, 43, 7 says, Everyone who I've called by my name, I have created for my glory. This isn't in your notes yet. I see everybody like flipping through, like confused. This is for your little lines part. If you want to, something catches your attention. But anyway, I wanted to rush through this because I was afraid I was going too long and I'm not rushing through it. So now it feels like I should have blinks. Um, so I'm created for God's glory. I love Romans eleven thirty six. For of him and through him and to him are all things be glory forever. Like he 
he is the capstone of life. He is he is everything that we're supposed to be. Um, next, so how do I fulfill my purpose? Well, in Genesis 2, go ahead and turn there. Genesis 2, um, 18 through 22. This is when God created Eve. So Genesis 2, 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet. That word is ezer, E-Z-E-R, for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam um, called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Wouldn't that be kind of a cool job, name all the animals? And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to the beasts of the field. Um, but for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. Think about that. He's looking at all these animals and he's seeing like, oh, there's a female this and a male this, whatever. But there's nothing like for me. There's nothing, there's, there's nothing like me. And then verse 21, and God uh, caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. That, that is the, the beginning of, of um, the man and woman and marriage and all that stuff. So that's what we need to go back to for why were we created? Well, he created woman to be this help me. This easer um, is the Hebrew word um, thing. Well, what's this word help me mean? That's what we're going to kind of unpack here. What does the world think about when we say that we're created to be a helpmate? What are some words that they might think or some philosophy? Just kind of yell them out. Inferior. Huge one. Doormat. Yes. Just kind of mousy, weak. We, we can't live without a man. Uh, we, some, yeah, subservient. That's a big word. I don't think that would have come out in my vocabulary, but I think I know what that means. Sub, under serve okay yeah they can get that okay simple-minded helpless you know so you can see why if our culture views it like that they they have this like i don't want to be that and i and think even our our young people kind of feel that but actually the word help me it's not like when you ask your kid to help you make dinner does your kid do you need your kid to help you make dinner um no last i checked you could stir that little gravy or whatever i don't even know what this was saying um that you can pour that into that, but you're just, you're, you're wanting to teach them, you're wanting to whatever. But if you're trying to carry something heavy and you say, hey, can you help me? It's, I can't do this alone. I need someone to help me. That's what we need to think about more than like the kid helping you make dinner. Okay. So it's like, man, man needs something like there. He needs that companion. He needs that, that help me that it, it means inherent strength, essential the word Ezer is actually used to describe God himself, the Holy Spirit, and like a warrior context. So this isn't like this weak, mousy word. This is like a word that describes God. There's nothing mousy about God. There's nothing helpless or weak about God. Um, the Holy Spirit, he's supposed to be empowering us believers and a warrior and all this stuff. So the Bible never uses it in a weak context. That's, context. That's just Satan's way of twisting um, what the Bible says. Um, and when men don't fulfill their role, it can kind of feel that um, way uh, to women as well. So God's designed um, men to reflect his character in certain ways and for women to reflect his character, especially in certain ways. We can all reflect his character, but men are just designed to reflect him in certain ways more and women are just designed to reflect his way more. So when we try to reflect God in the ways that he's especially designed and vice versa, and we, we get all confused, we, we forfeit this opportunity to really reflect him um, in a beautiful way when we're just like looking over, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. So this, this book, um, and it's, I put in the back easer by Christy Cole, but um, add to that biblical femininity. I realized that she kind of, the title is kind of biblical femininity because I Amazoned it and um, I couldn't find it. I was like, ah, I should have told him biblical femininity. So write that Biblical Femininity by Christy Cole. She's not like this nationally known author. Um, she's actually this local thing, but it was such a good book. And that's kind of what this um, lesson, my design of the lesson is based on. Um, and I think it'll just be really helpful um, for you um, as you try to be equipped to help this next generation with this. So Biblical Femininity, um, it says easier as like a subtitle and then uh, Christy Cole. Okay, look at this um, table. I thought this table was very helpful to just like structure this in my head. 
Okay, so you have a core calling, a core temptation, and a core capacity for men and women. Core calling for men, leadership responsibility. Core calling for women, an essential counterpart. I like that. Essential and counterpart. We're, we're to come alongside. So, since the core calling of men is leadership responsibility, their temptation, how Satan attacks them, is he wants them to be passive. He wants them to give up leadership. He wants them to be lazy. He wants them to be weak. He wants them to not care. And isn't that something that us women just sometimes get irked out? He just never takes the lead. He's just so passive. He doesn't care, blah, blah, blah. That's, it's a classic man problem that, that, that they're too passive. But you know what our core temptation is? Controlling. My wife's so controlling. Men are so controlling. And her, women are so controlling. They just nag, 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 you know, whatever. So you see how Satan, he knows how to attack God's design. And so, and so that's, that's what we're going to have to um, battle with. And that's where the feminist movement is all about the autonomy. We don't need men. We can do this ourselves. We're in control. You know, you're be you and, you know, don't let men, you know, tell you what to do, whatever. Um, so this, these are how we can best live out our calling, our core capacities. So men's core capacities are to pursue, provide, and protect. When a man's doing what he's supposed to do, he's pursuing the woman in, in marriage. He's providing for them, and he's protecting them. Okay, so that, that's there what they really need to be focused on. The women, our core calling is to invite, nurture, and partner. And don't worry, I have hand motions for these to help you remember. So we have invite, nurturing, and partnering. Do it with me, ladies. Inviting, nurture, and partnering. Okay, so we're going to go through all those, and hopefully in your head it'll, it'll ring out. Okay, so let's, let's unpack each one of these. First, as women, we should be inviting. That's uh, sure. I just have three blanks for you tonight. I just decided let's just keep it simple. Inviting. Okay, what does being inviting mean? Well, first, there's an action of inviting. You invite someone over to your house. You invite someone to, you know, sit at your table. You invite whatever. So it's the active um, part of making yourself available to others. I've heard people say, like, to have friendly eyes. Like, people just feel like, you know what, she, she's approachable. Um, I think I think in our, our churches, it's easy to just, like, you know, have these little group of clicky people and not notice the visitor, not notice the lady sitting by herself, but to be that inviting person. But it also is just an attitude of being an inviting person. It's a disposition to be pleasant, agreeable, um, to express beauty. I love the phrase promote delight. That's just, in, you're just an inviting person. Um, we as women should should be like that. That's why, um, I mean, it's not like all about, you don't have to be like this, you know, um, HGTV person, whatever, with everything's perfect and you look perfect and your house is perfect. But there is an element of we're supposed to bring beauty where we go. Um, it, it's, it is important for us to do that. That creates an inviting atmosphere. When you go into a home that's well, you know, um, decorated or well, um, kept, it, there's just an inviting feel to it. I've, um, been in people's cars before that aren't really inviting. It's just like, do I have to get in there? Um, I had one friend that had her dog just recently in there. She's like, oh, sorry, it probably smells like dog in here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it does. Um, and then there's dog hair everywhere, and that's just real inviting. So, um, so cleanliness brings an inviting thing to it. What's the purpose of being inviting? To reflect God. We invite people into our lives, so we then have an opportunity to reflect God um, to them. If people don't feel comfortable around us, our impact is, is not going to be there. Um, we have to be an inviting person to have an opportunity to reflect God, which is our whole purpose of bringing him glory. So this aspect... Um, this aspect is, is important to fulfill our calling. What does being inviting look like? Each time we're going to look at how God demonstrated it, because this is all part of his character, and then how we can demonstrate it. So first, how does God demonstrate being an inviting person? Um, I thought of some verses. He, in Isaiah 55, he says, Is anyone uh, thirsty? Anyone that thirst? Come and drink. He invites us to come. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, I love that one. Come unto me. All ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Like God wants us to come to him. He wants us to run to him. He is our refuge. It's not like he keeps us at an arm's length. He, he invites us to come in. So how can we demonstrate this? Um, well, Proverbs 31, I know she, we a lot of times think, oh, great, Proverbs 31, the woman that we can never live up to. But what I heard some, a pastor say, and I think it was in my study Bible too, it's a highlight reel, okay? When you lift 
list off qualities of, let's say like an obituary, okay? They're listing off all these qualities of a person. Was that person perfect? No, but you're showing them the highlight reel. That Think of that with Proverbs 31. These are, these are just things that this Solomon's mother was telling him. These are some qualities. These are some things that you should look for in a woman um, that should kind of um, be as a big picture of her lifestyle. Um, think of what, what Proverbs 31 says. She does him good and not evil. She promotes delight. She extends her hand to the poor, that invitation. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She expresses that outer beauty. Strength and, strength and honor are her clothing. That's the inward beauty. She opens her mouth with wisdom and kindness. That's that pleasant, agreeable nature. So you see how there's a lot of inviting elements um, to the Proverbs 31 woman. Okay, so how can we, we can do this um, just practically? Hospitality is a huge thing. We've got nowadays, especially after COVID, I think we've gotten used to just not really having people over, like not doing the face-to-face thing. And I will say like as a single, that is probably what has really um, helped me the most is so many families in my church have just like adopted me in and, you know, come on over, we're having leftovers or, you know, like, hey, we're watching a movie, we're playing a game, come on over, there's, more, you know, one more play or whatever. And, and it's, it's huge. Um, when new families come to our church, I love when I hear them say, yeah, we were just over at the Martin's house. And it was so fun. Like, that's how you get to be a family. Um, the body of Christ is not just, my pastor says, people come to church not to um, just have friendly faces, but to make friends. And we all know that you don't make friends just sitting in a pew with them. You make friends by having them over for supper, doing a game night, going bowling, going out to eat, whatever. My, uh, a friend of mine, a mentor of mine says, uh, we need to create shared experiences. Whenever you do something outside of church, it might not be anything special. But when you see them at church, there's some kind of a inside joke that you might have. There's something that you can like, you feel like you're a little bit better friend when you have that shared experience. So I just want you to think, like, I'm. you can imagine, I am not Miss um, Proverbs 31 cook, okay? So when I do hospitality, I make tacos. That's my meal. I, I mean, they know. If they come over, they're making tacos. Um, because it's just, everybody makes their own thing. I don't have to worry about, you know, all the allergy stuff. They can just do what they want. They can do it with or without the gluten. They can, you know, do the spice, not the spice. Like, just do your thing. So I like the taco thing. Um, but I also just say, hey, everybody bring something. You know, I'm no cook. Everybody bring something. And it, it goes great. It's low stress. You just play a game or two. People are just glad to get out of the house. That's, that's when I've decided. And when you're invited to something... Like, it makes you feel special. Like, this person thought of me and wanted me to come over to their house. Like, I've, I've had a friend before that was like, yeah, I, I always invite people, but never people never really invite me. And that, that made me sad because that would get to you. Like, why why does people... So we're thinking, who's some... Like, maybe it's just like once every six weeks you have somebody over or something. But I know for me, if I don't plan it, like, if I just don't put a date on the calendar... Life just gets busy and you forget about it and you just don't do it. Um, so I encourage you, maybe there's a new family that's coming to your church. Maybe there's, you know, a, a, a single girl that needs, needs somebody to feed them. Um, like be thinking, you know, what can I, an older lady. I love getting together with old people. They are like so encouraging. They like cook good. They like, they'll listen to my rambling. Like they feel like I have all this news that they haven't heard. Like it's great. We, we are, we are tight. I have, I have a lot of wonderful um, friends. Um, just being friendly. Oh, hospitality. In, in my study Bible, it says, it's not just entertaining friends. It's pursuing the love of strangers. Isn't that a good phrase? Pursuing the love of strangers. Because let's be honest, some of us don't need any more friends. Okay? Like, we're good with who we got. You know, we've got our people. But the problem is, other people still need friends. And you don't have to be their bestie. But you, you've, you've got to open yourself up to, you know what? I might not need them as a friend, but they might me, need me as a friend. That, that's unselfish. When we're just making friends because we need people, you're doing it for your own good. And that's medium selfish, okay? You just don't want to be lonely. But when you're like, I don't need friends, but they need a friend, like that's true biblical love. The, the, um, the love in 1 Corinthians 13 we talked about this morning. So just being friendly, that's another way. That's good. I feel like hospitality is, is a little bit better because you, you get a little deeper. But just being a friendly person, making others feel valued. I've heard someone say, add value to everyone you meet. Just when they leave you, help them have a little more value than when, um, when they first talk to you. Not being intimidating. 
that that's not inviting when you're intimidating when people have to be perfect around you when when you just have this like you know i don't know curt short way of communicating with people like yeah don't be that um be fun be genuine all those things are ways that you can um be inviting valuing beauty is another way that you can be inviting we kind of talked about that but we should care about i feel like nowadays um i mean i hate to diss on my generation but we're not real good at the housekeeping life. Like, I think that we're just like, oh, it's okay, just be me. And and I've had some people talk, like some older, older women in my church, they confide in me like, just my daughter-in-law. She's so messy. She never cleans the house and whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's awkward. I mean, I don't know what to say. But like our culture is kind of getting more and more casual to where we're just like, ah, you know, it's okay. But we shouldn't be like that. Like we need to promote beauty. We need to... Wherever we go, value it. Um, be be good with your hygiene. That's another thing. I mean, I know it's kind of basic, but I've got some people in my church that have hygiene issues and it's not inviting. So just for whatever that's worth, take a shower every day um, and put on deodorant. Um, next, um, having a meek and quiet spirit. Now, this this is something I've had to study because um, this, isn't, this isn't Tina Perry. But I, I, and I do need to work on it, but I was relieved to know that it's not like um, a decibel level as much as it is um, submissive heart, that you are, are somebody that, you know, you're not going to keep pushing it. You just have a quiet spirit. You are, you are willing to do what needs to be done. You don't have to be the stubborn person that has to have their way. Um, you're, you're humble and you'll, you'll submit to the people around you. Um, I have a quote here and I don't put, I didn't put who quoted it. So I'm sorry. I really need a better. True beauty and true delight is found in a woman who knows she is fearfully and wonderfully made and reflects the image of God in her. It takes security to be a meek and quiet person, to not have to be in control, to let someone else have their way. That meekness is strength under control. So it's not that you're a weak person. You're actually a stronger person for doing that. So what are some barriers to being inviting? We talked about, um, I talked about neatness in the home and hygiene and everything. Fear of being rejected. I think that's a big one. We don't want to invite people in because what if they say no? Then they say no. And it's their loss. You know, that's, that's what I say. I was like, well, I tried. I make great tacos. Um, another one is the desire to impress. I, I've heard people say um, hospitality is not to impress people. It's to impact and influence people. And if you have this impress mindset, then you're, you're only going to have people over if your house is perfect. You're only going to have people over if you have some amazing recipe. Um, you're only going to like you're only going to have people over so that they like ooh and awe over your house and whatever. Um, so not, that's not a thing. Um, lack of other lack of love for others who are different. Um, that that's one reason you wouldn't be hospitable because you're like they're a little odd. I'm not sure how that conversation would go. This is what I found is if you just love all different kinds of people, life is so much more fun. Like, I love quirky people. I mean, I am one. But um, because it's, it's just fun. Like, I don't know. You just appreciate their quirks and you just laugh at it rather than getting frustrated at it. And and quirky people sometimes don't make friends well. And so, like, you could be, like, such an encouragement to them and, and help them not be as quirky. I mean, you could probably work some quirks out. Um, that's one of my goals with some of my students. I was like, they're very talented, but they're weird. And so I need to help them be more normal so they can serve Jesus better with their music. So I do, I do have on my radar, I need to influence them to help them. When I'm helping somebody be more normal, you know, it's a problem. Problem. Um, and this is an interesting one. Immodesty is a barrier to being inviting. Because what's your goal with being immodest? It's inviting, but it's not to reflect others back to Christ. You're being a stumbling block to them. So you're taking this this um, ability you have as a woman to to be inviting and you're twisting it for your own selfish motives of feeling beautiful or feeling loved or whatever it is, feeling noticed. And now you're twisting it to be selfish instead of living life to point others to Jesus. Um, so that's why I tell my counselors, I was like, if you have a personality that people are attracted to, whatever, use it for Jesus. Don't use it for yourself so you can just have be popular or whatever. Use it so that you can have influence to point people to Jesus. Beautiful people naturally are able to attract, like, like people are just drawn to you. And, and that's great. I'm happy for you beautiful people out there. But use it for Jesus. I have some beautiful friends that are do this. I've had some counselors that are just so 
they can look cute at Mud Games. And I'm like, I you. I have some pictures of me in Mud Games. Tabitha was actually talking about this. And there's nothing inviting about that. Uh, but I was like, hey, if you're cute, like, use that for Jesus. Because people are going to naturally be like, oh, she's cute. Let me talk to her. Whatever. And flip it and, and use it for Jesus. Selfishness keeps you from being inviting, obviously, because you don't care about other people. Number two. So let's do our thing. We'll do this after each one. Inviting, nurturing, partnering. Again, inviting, nurturing, partnering. Okay, so next one, number two, nurturing. I forgot to set my timer. This, this might not be pretty. Okay, I need to hurry, though. I feel like I've taken too long. What does nurturing mean? To care for and build strength in others. This, this is a big deal. What's the purpose of nurturing? It's maturity. This, this is where I feel like our society has gotten messed up. You're, you're nurturing people to help them be more strong. Well, stronger. <laughs> be stronger. You're not doing it to make them weaker and more dependent on you. And I think that's where some parents are getting all warped in their heads is that they feel like they're nurturing by doing all these things for their kids, but they're not building maturity in their kids. They're building immaturity in their kids. They're enabling um, their kids or their students or whatever. So the goal of nurturing is to make people less dependent on you. Um, it's, it's to equip them to be who God created them to be. Um, I, this is discipleship. Nurturing is discipleship. Um, I, I think of this with my piano students. My goal is to teach myself out of a job. I want my students not to need me to help them learn pieces the rest of their life. Like that means I was a failure. They should be able to open a hymnal and play without calling me and being like, so what's the fingering for nothing but the blood that I should use there? Like, they, they shouldn't need me. Um, if if as, as a, a Bible teacher, I've told my kids, I was like, you, I want you guys to all be faithful soldiers of Jesus Christ. I want you to be Sunday school teachers. I want you to be faithful nursery workers. I want you to be moms and dads that are teaching their kids the Bible. Like I want to build you to maturity so that you can just do this without me. You, you don't need me to, to teach you this stuff anymore. What does nurturing look like? Well, we see this through God and creation. He's created this awesome um, world that maintains itself and flourishes um, through redemption. Christ sacrificed his life so that we could have life through his relationship with us. I love Matthew 6 where it says, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat and drink and put on. Your heavenly father knows you have need of these things. So he's nurturing. He wants to take care of us. He didn't just create us and be like, have fun, figure it all out. Hope, hope you go. Okay. How can we demonstrate nurturing? Obviously through mothering your own children. This is a big deal. And I just encourage you, you ladies, I have a lot of young mom friends. Most of my friends are young mom friends. And I'm realizing just the day-to-day -day unselfishness that it takes to be a good mom. Like, you guys are not getting sleep. You guys are having to discipline on a regular basis. And as my brother says, Tina, you have no idea how exhausting it is to be consistent and disciplined. Because sometimes he's just like, it is so much easier to give them that iPad, to just be like, go to your room, to just be like, you know, give them what they want. If you're, if you're a, a um, consistently disciplining your kids, it, it should be exhausting because they're sinning a lot. And so, and so you've got to be on it. But I will say, I, I've seen so many families that have done it right and their kids are hot messes and you just see the Holy Spirit work in them and they grow up to be such sensitive and, and just like people with convictions and doing what's right. And it's neat as a school teacher to see that when parents are really working hard, they used to have all these meltdowns. Now they're not. They used to have these anger problems. Now they have this sweet temperament about them. And so like, I just applaud you moms that are really working hard at this and to keep at it. Spank your kids, um, discipline your kids. Don't, don't let society and this grace parenting thing get you all messed up. Like you, they need to know there's consequences for sin. Um, you that are grandmas, I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to, teenagers at camp and this rehab that I've worked with, that talk about the influence of a grandma. Sometimes parents drop the ball and grandmas pick it up and they show them that love. They are the ones teaching them about the Bible. They're the ones that are um, having that inviting presence and that stable feeling to their lives. And even if your, your kids are doing a great job raising, raising the grandkids, just having that added like you know support system my parents are loving the grandparent life and i a kid i had a picture a picture in my house with me and my parents and then one with me and my grandma 
And sometimes I just look at that for a little bit and think, that was when the foundation of love was built in me. Like, I never lived a day in my life feeling unloved. And very few, I feel like in this world, that's, that's rare, more and more rare. Um, but that gave me a stability and a security in life not to look for love everywhere else. It made me, even with friends, I didn't, I didn't have the peer pressure because that a lot of people have because I didn't need that acceptance elsewhere. I had it. I had it from godly grandparents and parents. Um, and so I just encourage you guys, don't underestimate what you're doing with these kids and grandkids. It's exhausting, but that is discipleship. Like that, That's what I miss about not being a parent is I don't get to start from scratch with somebody. I'm always like helping these people that have layers and layers of problems. So um, enjoy starting from scratch. It, that, that's fun. Um, but then also spiritual children. And this is where I live um, is, is um, kind of thinking more kingdom with children and just my physical children. Um, so I just encourage you, like, be a discipling person. Um, you don't have to disciple everybody, but have a couple people on your radar of who you're taking in, who you're investing in spiritually. Um, um, I put the Proverbs 30 woman shows this. She looks well to the ways of her household. She earns money. She clothes them. She provides meat for her family. She helps support um, all those things. I put also some other practical ways um, that you can be nurturing. Um, I won't go through all those, but just think, how can I build strength in other people? How can I help people with maturity? Uh, I put on here, you have to spend enough time to get to know them how to best to help their needs. That love language thing is a real thing. Like, I encourage you to think through that so you can best love and care for your um, those in your care. Uh, what are barriers to being nurturing? I talked about this before. Enabling others to be immature is not nurturing. You feel like it is. It makes you feel good, like you're needed, but you're not, you're not being a nurturing person. You're actually enabling. Um, I've heard it said, don't prepare the path for your kids prepare your kids for the past. And I like that. And as a teacher, I see this so often. Parents are, are taking all the blame for their kids being late, for their kids' project not being done, for them getting their piano books for the sixth week in a row. Um, you know, like parents are like, oh yeah, we should have whatever. And I was like, the, no, the kid, needs, the, the kid needs to take some responsibility here. Um, so don't try to like um, make everything perfect for your kids prepare your kids for the path. Be like, okay, well, you've got to learn to be responsible. We need to put alarms. We need to put things by the door the night before, whatever. Uh, my pastor always says, choose to sin, choose to suffer. And I think when we don't let kids have consequences for their sins, we're giving this warped mindset that you can sin, you can be irresponsible, you can be lazy and still avoid consequences. And they get that mentality. And then they think like, they'll be in high school and they think I should give them grace every time they have a homework um, that's overdue. They think every time they're late, they should be excused. They think like people just think they shouldn't have consequences for their sin. And then they try to twist the grace thing. But God's also a God of truth and he's holy and he's just. So, so we've got to know that, you know, letting, letting those in our care have consequences for their sin is the best way we can nurture them because we're showing them, you've got to think about this before you do it because there, there's going to be a problem here. Another barrier is trying to be a people's savior, like to be that one person they always go to when they have a problem. And it feels like special, like, wow, they need me, but you're, you're not helping them because they need to start figuring out, you know what, I can go to God for this. I, I need to have time in the word. I shouldn't need to call you at 2 a.m. because I'm, you know, and there's special situations, I realize. But when it's a pattern, you, you got to have these boundaries of, you know what, no, like you need to develop some tools and some some mental capacities to to be strong and to do with this yourself. Um, the other thing, limiting nurturing to your own family. That's a barrier. And I see this sometimes and I want to be careful here because I'm not a young mom. I don't got all these kids to, to mess with. But I do see families that it's like everything revolves around their family. They're oblivious to the needs of others. As long as their family's taken care of, then their life is good. And they don't feel any obligation to help anybody else as long as, as, as this, is, this is complete. And I will say, I, 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 I feel like I've um, been such a product of people that have not been this way. I have so many families that invest in me. This, this family, a Vietnamese family, has really taken me in. And they, um, they had these coat hooks in their house that they just put in. And there were six of them. And there's only five people in their family. And they put the names of each person in their family and the sun put Miss Perry up off the fixed book. And she sent me a picture. She's like, you're officially in the family. 
And I was like, it like, it, it blessed me. I was like, that's sweet. And so like stuff like that, people that like take the time to put other people in their family, like it's a big deal and it, it makes you feel special. Lastly, partnering. Oh, let's do our thing. Inviting, nurturing, partnering. One more time for my sake. Inviting, nurturing, partnering. This is the one I think that's taken the biggest hit um, in our society. What does partnering mean? To help further the mission of others. To help further the mission of others. It's unselfish. You're partnering to be able to accomplish something bigger than yourself. Oh, I just said the second thing. What's the purpose? To accomplish more for the cause of Christ than you could do alone. We've got to get out of this, I can do it alone, um, like feeling like you're a stronger person if you don't need people. Like that's not the case. We can, my, my pastor calls it, oh, I, I'm sure this is the word everybody uses, but synergy. Two people can do something more than just the sum of the two parts, but it, it, it compounds, it, it multiplies. So one person, let's say one person can do like 10 things, the other person can do 10 things, but together they do 30 things. Does that make sense? So like, it like it's a multiplying effect, not just added together. There, there's more to it. And we've got to think like this. Um, God demonstrates partnering through the Trinity. They all have their different roles and they work together for the sake of redemption. How can we demonstrate partnering? By being competent in your roles. Like be a good cook, be a good like um, Sunday school teacher, be a good homemaker, be a good person at your work, you know, whatever you do, do it well. Like there's nothing wrong with being um, really business oriented or, or really good at your, your career. Like that's how you can best partner um, and, and create stuff. So don't be a lazy bum. Don't be one of these people that's always just getting by and that's just doing the bare minimum. Like be one of these people that, you know, you want them on your team. Like you want that person. Um, be trustworthy to do your part. Don't be one of these people that's flaky and, you know, they might do it, they might not. You can't really trust them to do what you want. Or, um, per, or have your own agenda when you when you go into things. Um, be, be a part of their agenda. Be submissive to authorities. This is a big one. I, I'm not married, so I don't got the husband submission thing. But I've got plenty of male authorities in my life to be submissive to. And, and sometimes I'm just like, I've asked you this three weeks ago. Like, why have not we not moved forward? And it's so easy for me to be like, let me just take over. And we're like, Tina, this is not really what it feels like to be a wife. And your husband's like slow to get something done. Like, you've just got to like wait for them. And then like, you know, be like, hey, you got to know you. So being submissive takes a lot of strength. And I'm realizing um, that, yeah, you, you submissive wives, you're, you're amazing people. Next one, being fulfilled by seeing the cause succeed, not needing affirmation or recognition. Don't be one of these people that has to have a pat on the back if you do something for the church. You have to have a thank you note. You have, people have to affirm you. Those kind of people, you're not actually doing it to promote the cause. You're doing it for yourself. You've got some selfish motives going on. I always tell myself like, um, that I can truly know if I'm being a servant if I'm treated like a servant. If people aren't giving me all these, you know, credit, if people don't even know that I did something, that's when I'm truly doing it for the Lord. Um, so don't be one of these people that gets all worked up like they didn't even notice that I did today. They mentioned their name and their name and they didn't say my name. We did In your home, I know you do a lot of things that nobody sees. Um, are any of you taking care of um, elderly parents? Any, any people in that room? My mom did that for a lot of years. She had two, um, a, my dad's stepmom and her mom that she took care of. That is a selfless thing. I think that's one of the most selfless things you can do is to is to be a caregiver um, because it's just it's not flashy. It's very selfless. Um, it's it. There's awkward parts to it. There's there's unpleasant parts to it. Um, but you know, if you if you can just be like, you know what, this is what God's called me to do, and I don't need all the affirmation and all the you know whatever. I'm just going to do it because I want to partner in this in this role that God's given me for the kingdom. Um, lastly, responding well to feedback, suggestions, or corrections. We've kind of talked about this with the, um, the whole, um, you know, self-deception thing. But that's what, when you're wanting to do better together, then you're going to be like, oh, you think we could do it this way better? Oh, let's do that. Don't be one of these people that's my way or the highway. Um, what are barriers to partnering? When our agenda, preferences, or perceived rightness take priority or loving others. Um, sometimes I'm like, Tina, you want it done this way? But it wouldn't, it, 
it wouldn't be a big deal if we just did it the way this person wants to do it. They'd feel special doing it that way. That'd make them whatever. Just just kind of be hold, hold your preferences loosely. Other barriers, self-reliance, laziness, um, slander, competitiveness. We talked about that a little bit. Jealousy. Um, all these things keep us from truly being um, good partners. So I, I, I um, also encourage you, to, uh, the two book recommendations I put on here, Control Girl and Comparison Girl by Sh- Shannon Popkin. Have anybody ever read those or listened to those? Okay. They're convicting, so just a little warning there. Um, they are so good, though. Control Girl, I've, I've, I benefited from it, but a lot of it is um, uh, wife and motherhood stuff. Um, and so I, a lot of the illustration stuff, so I could see how as a mother, it might be even more applicable, but it just talks about our tendency towards control. Comparison girl, um, talks about how we as women are just constantly in battle with each other. Even though we might not admit it, we're, we walk into a room and we're already comparing. Um, where am I with, you know, status here? Um, when you're in church and, you know, you got special music, you know, where, where does they line up? Um, you know, our houses, where do they line up? Our kids, where do they line up? Like, we're just, we're just in that in that mindset and the cover of it i love it she has a measuring cup and she says and it has the little pour thing she said use your life to pour not to measure and i, I thought that was such a good um just way of living so anyway it's a great book comparison girl and control girl you could use them for devotions because they have like um questions and bible study things in there so it's like a book devotional thing so all ages that would be awesome i do the audiobook thing too um so anyway this little plug for that um, another um, recommendation I have in there is a book called Fierce Woman by Kimberly Wagner. I um, was recommended this for my pastor's wife. I don't really know why. why. Let me tell me to read the book Fierce Woman. Um, but see, it, it's a really good book about how um, how we flip this uh, man-woman thing. She calls it the Fierce Woman, Fearful Man cycle, where we start getting the controlling fierceness. And just to survive, a guy just starts giving in. And he starts being like, it's not worth the fight. It's not worth trying to lead because he's going to, you know, bark at me if something goes wrong. And if she doesn't get her way, she's going to be in a bad mood and I just don't want to deal with it. And over time, it starts, the, the roles start shifting and the man's too scared to lead. And then the woman's mad at him for not leading. It's a great life. I Zero out of five recommend. Um, but she talked about how that's how her marriage became. And she was like um, a seminary grad, like super like, in the word. I think she was even like, you know, doing lady sessions and all this stuff. And she was totally oblivious to the fact of how she was destroying her um, husband. And they went through some dark times and, and just um, her journey. And she gives, she talks about how to be a competent, strong um, woman, but to use that strength to actually build up your man and to build up those around you rather than tear them down. Um, Because being competent and being confident can be an awesome tool or it can be destructive depending on how you use it. So I highly recommend that book, um, Kimberly Wagner, um, and I put it in the back. She said, the good stuff God put in us, which can make us beautifully fierce women and effective helpers, gets twisted and turned into this dangerous tool of domination. And I think that's all of our tendencies. Um, so I just, it, it kind of ending with, with these questions. Am I controlling in the home, the church or the workplace? If things don't go as planned, do I get really stressed and respond in negative hurt ways? Are you, does things have to go your way or you just get all worked up? Do I function as though I believe my way of functioning is, is superior to those around me? Do I think that maybe there could be more than one way to do something? Like, crazy thought. Um, do I call the shots most of the time in my sphere of influence? Like, when you're, when you're there, are you always the one in charge? Like, that might be a red flag. It might be because nobody around you feels like they can lead because they know that you're going to take over anyway. Um, do I do others feel the liberties to suggest alternate plans around me? Do I ever defer to somebody else's plan? Do I receive input from others and demonstrate appreciation for that? That's when you really build that camaraderie is when someone makes a suggestion. You're like, you know what? Let's do that. And then you say, hey, that was a great suggestion. Thank you. That's empowering. That's nurturing strength in other people. Um, so um, I know it was kind of maybe more practical than like, um, you know, straight, you know, Bible. But don't you see how us as women, if we just really latched hold to these, we could be awesome wives, awesome mothers, awesome church members, um, just even in our community and good neighbors. And, and not to apologize for being a woman, but using all these great, um, these qualities to just, um, you know, show the world like 
this is how God created me and, and to reflect um, this character of, of our God. Because when we're negative about um, being a woman, like that, that's not helpful to the next generation. Like, oh, I have to clean the house. Oh, I always have to, you know, do that with the kids. Or, oh, I always have to obey my husband or whatever. Like, that's not, that's how God designed us to do it. And so we're, we're telling people there's something wrong with God's design. And I, I put in here, and I, I think I forgot to say it. But um, you that are married, like, I, I, I hear a lot of women complain about their husbands. Maybe they think since I'm single, then I'm like a safe space for that. I don't know. Um, but I will say I've never left one of those conversations respecting that woman more. I always leave thinking, like, that, that, like, if I was him, I would be like, okay, wow, thanks, you know, um, and if you're wanting to build up your husband and, and make him lead, um, just be very careful. I know sometimes you need counsel and all this stuff. Just be careful about being one of those people that's just, like, disrespecting men around you um, and being critical of men around you. I don't want to be a woman that men are afraid of in any way. Like, I want them to know I'm on their team. I want them to know I'm I'm there to help them. Um, and so this is a little um, side note for you, for you women to think about. Um, so to end, let's do a little thing. Inviting, nurturing, and partnering. That's how we can show the world that um, we are living out God's design. We're happy to do it and um, encourage the ladies in our lives. So I put at the bottom, um, sink in your head. Which one of these areas are you the strongest in? Inviting, nurturing, or partnering? We all kind of have a, a niche. And one of those is our, is our best one. But I also want you to think, okay, which one of those am I the weakest in? Which one of those do I struggle with the most? And try to think of one, one step that you can take to kind of just improve in that area just a little bit um, so that you don't just leave these sessions like, oh, it's okay, that's good, but actually like do something with it. Okay, let's go ahead and pray and then do whatever is coming up next. Dear Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us um, just so much practical um, guidance to how we should live our lives so that we can live it confidently and happily and contented. I pray for each of these women. I know that um, they're all in different contexts, all different stages of life. Um, I pray that they would um, just determine to live out this design that you've given them, not to let the culture um, define um, what they believe, but that they would just um, realize that um, if we do life your way, it turns out the best and we can have the biggest impact in this world. We love you. Thank you for the time we can have um, just discussing these principles tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that the truths learned will benefit you in your spiritual walk with the Lord. Join us again tomorrow for our next sermon.